Take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to John chapter 1 as we started our exposition of John. And so we are in sermon number 2. Uh, today we're looking at verses 6 to 13. Uh, that was abrupt, but I want to give you a prayer request. I intended to do this before the service uh, when I was making announcements and I neglected. Uh, tonight we're gathering small groups, uh, many of you will. I have a prayer request. Uh, please be praying for my friend. His name is David Atkins. He's a longtime, lifelong friend of mine from my hometown, Blairsville. Uh, his wife, Tina, also a friend of mine, known her all my life. She went home to be the Lord last week after a battle with COVID. And uh, this is a very sad, sad reality. Uh, they, they have two sons. Uh, this, this, uh, she got sick and back in February, and it's kind of sudden. And uh, it's really devastated that community. David is a, a pastor, been a pastor. He's a preacher. He's going to be preaching her funeral tonight about 7 o'clock. He used to be our sheriff. Just a wonderful guy, dear friend. Like I said, lifelong friend. So tonight at 7, you gather. Please pray for them and pray for him that God will give him grace and strength and, and uh, will encourage him and strengthen him and comfort him. Because we communicated this week, and I know that I can't imagine uh, to lose your helpmate. 38 years, they would have celebrated 38 years of marriage here in about th uh, three weeks uh, if they, she had lived. So, so please be in prayer for them. So there's that. Thank you. So let us hear now the word of the Lord as we turn our attention to God's word. I'm going to go ahead and start back in uh, verse 1 and read to verse 13. Let's stand and honor the reading of God's word, please. In the beginning was the word... And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Hallelujah. Saw that last week. Good news. Here's our text for today. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all men might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light, which gives light to everyone who was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but... To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, not of the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And this is the word of the Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, but tell me. Word of the Lord, I do forever. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, we praise you that the light has come. That those of us who walked in darkness have seen, have seen a great light. We know the light is Christ. So God, give us more light, more grace today. God, we need more grace. James said he gives more grace. Oh God, through this word, we need more grace to crash upon the shores of our lives, to wash away the sin and the temptation and the bitterness and anxiety and all the things that tempt us, God, to doubt you. So God, give us grace today to delight ourselves in you, not just delight ourselves in doctrines, but delight ourselves in Christ and find our satisfaction, to find our identity in him and him alone. So God, do your work in us to build your church in us right now. The gates of hell might not overcome it. I pray this in the strong name of the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our risen Lord. Amen. Well, hopefully the title has gotten your attention, called to be, and I think I should have put in parentheses, true Jehovah's Witnesses. It's got your attention, if nothing else, right? We are called to be true Jehovah's Witnesses. I think that's what we're going to say. So what does it mean? And really, I want to kind of hone in on the word witness. What does it mean to be a witness? If you've ever seen a murder firsthand, you'll probably be called to court during the trial as a witness and be asked to give a truthful, firsthand account of the information, what you know as you saw it when the murder was committed. That is one meaning of the word witness. 
One time I had to be a witness, a character witness to one of my cousins who was murdered back home. And I had to call and, and I was called to be a witness and to witness to his character. Was he a scary person? The man who murdered him played self-defense and I was asked, would I be scared of him? Things like that. So I had to give a witness. And for our legal system to work well, we need strong, accurate, fearless witnesses. You know this. If you're in the middle of a tornado and you saw it and you live to tell about it and the media comes out, the local TV station comes out, they're going to ask you, what did you see? They may say, hey, they'll interview you. Now, they love to come where I grew up. No, you know this, right? They come and they find, you know, the, the person who they think best represents North Georgia and they talk to that person. That is the witness. And there's some interesting witnesses, evidently, where I grew up. You know, they don't talk to, well, we're all insane, I guess, so, you know, that's probably an arrogant thing to say, but that's a witness. As a newspaper reporter, I used to have to get witnesses to the scene. And so a, a dictionary definition is a person who sees an event take place or who furnishes evidence or proof. And so this morning we come to a witness, a witness to Christ par excellence, really the first witness to the light which we read, we saw last week, which come into the world. Now remember, we saw that the light, the beginning was the Word, the Word was Christ, and the Word was with God, He made all things, He's with God, He never had a beginning, He's pre-existent before time and, and matter began. Christ has always been, the Son has always been, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they have always been. We're going to get into the Trinity as we uh, walk through this and get into some deep theological waters that I think are very practical, but we're going to have to put our thinking caps on because... You know, sometimes, boy, it's hard to understand. Is it? Peter said that. Brother Paul's writings are hard to understand. Boy, in some places, that makes me feel better. Does it you? Even after all my Sunday learning, some of these things are hard to explain and understand. But we need to know these things for our good and for our godliness, our holiness. This doctrine, how, uh, as a man believes, so he lives, right? So he is. So we meet the witness who came to prepare the way for Christ this morning, John the Baptist. Right here in verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Who was John? Why do they call him, why do we call him John the Baptist? And I told you I was going to ask this. Was he the founder of the Baptist denomination? Now I teach Baptist history, the seminary, and sometimes I love to start my classes with, was John the Baptist the first Baptist? All right? And there are people, and usually not as Southern, because you know you if you think that, you're not going to be honest about that because of pride. But in other places I teach, sometimes they'll say, yeah, that's right, he's the first Baptist. And of course, I'm going to say he is because our church goes all the way back to that, right? We're going to find witnesses to John the Baptist. So who was John the Baptist? Is he the founder of the Southern Baptist Convention? I bet, I bet you ask the media that, they might think that. Oh yeah, yeah, I think that was the fellow that founded the SBC, right? Let's let him keep believing that. That's just fine. John the Baptist, who was he? Well... He wasn't the first Baptist, the first Southern Baptist, but he was the final Old Testament prophet. You say, well, we're in the New Testament. But it's clear from Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, and here in the New Testament, at the beginning of, uh, of the Gospels, he was the final Old Testament prophet. He even dressed like one, as we'll see here in a moment. We'll learn more about him in future weeks. I'm going to spend a lot of time on him today because the text doesn't spend a lot of time on him. He was a forerunner of Jesus to bear witness about Christ, to tell us beforehand about the one who was to come. Malachi 3, 1, he says, behold, I will send a messenger, the prophet says this, and he will prepare a way before me. Who's he talking about there? John the Baptist. How do we put our Bibles together? Malachi's the end of the Old Testament, right? 400 years of silence, and then boom, there he is, just like the Bible said. And so, can we trust the Bible? Absolutely. Would we have written it that way? I don't think I'd have written it that way. I would have left 400 years to chance, right? Silence. But there we have it. John the Baptist, a forerunner who was prophesied in Malachi, also in chapter 4, verse 5. John was a man's man. He, you might say, and Joe, you love this guy. Joe, where's Joe? He lived off the grid. No doubt about it, we might say today. Joe, he lived off the grid Matthew 3, let's slip back to Matthew 3 just to your left a bit here and, and read a few verses about, tells us a little more about John, fills in some of the details, which we'll look in weeks to come, but let's just get our bearings here. In those days, here he is, John the Baptist came preaching, 
in the wilderness of Judea. I like it. They capitalized Baptist there, you know. So there, there's, the, there's our forefather. Repent. Boy, that's a, not a popular message, right? You're not going to go on the Oprah show and say, repent. But he does this, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, speaking of Christ, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. This is Jesus, prophesied by Isaiah. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And here we go. Here's the off-the-grid guy. Now, John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. I think of the old show, Grizzly Adams. Who knows that show? You probably don't know that, but in the 1970s, a man that lived out with the bears and stuff. That's kind of how I picture him, and, and you may too. And you can look at him on YouTube. Just don't do it now, please. But later, this is, this is who he was. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about Jordan were going out to him. And no wonder, right? And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers. Now here's the way to start a gospel conversation, right? You brood of vipers. He does not wince. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. That's the family trees, right? Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So this is this message, this sermon, right? I baptize you with uh, water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Boy, we could just stop right there, could we, and say, well, we got the sermon this morning. It's to repent and be reconciled to God because there's coming a day, someday, a payday, someday for our sins when God will judge all those who reject Christ with unquenchable fire. John preached the word, the forerunner. That's his message. Again, we're going to dive into that a little more in future weeks because he comes back in chapter 3. We're going to see him. Uh, we're going to look more in depth at John. But he was a witness and a witness not just to Jesus but to this gospel, this reality that repentance and faith is what reconciles us to a holy God who is in a very real sense our enemy until we come to Christ. Right? I think John the Baptist would agree with me here. <laughs> that, you know, that there's a very real sense in which if you haven't come to Christ this morning, your biggest problem is not that you need a good life and you need to feel better. Your biggest problem is God. That is your biggest problem if you stand outside of Christ. And this is what John came to say. This final Old Testament prophet. And so the, the verb here, back in John, used for witness. We're gonna, again, we'll, we'll push pause there and come back in future weeks. The Greek verb uh, used here for witness is the word, a form of martyreo, which you should sound familiar to you. It's where we get our word for martyr. He came to be a martyr for Christ, and in, in fact, he would be, right? He's going to be beheaded for the cause of Christ. Are you willing to... Lay down your life like that for the cause of Christ. Does Jesus mean that much to you? Does the truth mean that much to you? Boy, here in America, we're pretty, pretty comfortable, aren't we? I don't know. That's asking a lot, God. But John laid down his life. And again, I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll see that in future weeks. But that is the message. So he came to bear witness or testify or attest or affirm or confirm both that Christ is who the Old Testament said would come and that he has a gospel that he's going to live out. And it will save us from our sins. He came to bear witness to the truth of the gospel. Verse 7 here tells us, He came to bear witness about Christ. The light here, who came to bring salvation to the world, the light shines in the darkness, the darkness has not overcome. Right, he comes, to bear, he comes to bear witness or came to bear witness about the light, the light of Christ. He was a genuine, true witness to Jehovah God, right? And he shows us the purpose of witness here. In verse 7, that all might believe through him. That's his message, right? 
I mean, that, that is our purpose this morning, that, that all might believe through Christ. If you don't know him today, my purpose and my message to you is repent and believe in him. And that's the invitation every Sunday, every time we gather here. I hope you realize this, and I say this, but I want to remind us of this. That we don't do this because this is what we usually do. Or this is what Southern Baptists do. Or this is what the heirs of John the Baptist do, right? We do this because every Sunday morning, heaven and hell hang in the balance, just as it did with John's ministry. It hasn't changed. And that is our message. That is our message today, that you might believe through him, through Christ. That's it. It hasn't changed. That's the purpose, the great purpose statement here. So that all might repent. Now, that's the theme that's missing from John's account of John the Baptist. Remember, there's a lot of differences between we talked about last week between the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. But that's it. Repent and believe. And he says, I'm not the light. He was not the light, but he's a witness about the light, which tells me he was humble. There's humility about John the Baptist's Baptist. He said, Jesus' disciples came to him when they discovered John the Baptist, and they said, Jesus, everyone's going out and following him. They're all going to him. Or, or tell, told John this. They're all going to Jesus. They told him, they're going to Jesus. John, I thought we had a ministry here. I thought they were all going to fill our church. I thought they were coming to us, man. You've been preaching. You, look at you. You've you got camel's hair. you got a belt, man. You're cool. You're styling, man. You're profiling. They're, they're, coming, they're going to him. Why does he say, I need to ramp up my Twitter followers? I need to start a new Instagram account. He didn't say that, did he? No, he says what? He says, he must increase and I must decrease. And brothers and sisters, and especially brothers who are called to ministry, that is the, should be the cry of every faithful minister of God, that you didn't go into ministry, you weren't called to ministry to make much of yourself. I mean, Paul said it. Speaking of humility, 2 Corinthians 4, he said, we preach not ourselves, Right? John didn't come preaching John. He came preaching Christ. He says, Paul said, we preach on ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord and ourselves as bond servants for Jesus. It's like, that is your calling. And if you think it's something else, and you question your calling, and you question my calling, come to preach not ourselves. John the Baptist came not to preach himself. He came to decrease and for Christ to increase, to proclaim the fame of Christ's name. That's why we're here, right? That's why I'm here. That's the only reason I went in ministry. And as soon as I forget that, I'm a forgetful person. You remind me of that, okay? You say, you know, you said this, Pastor Jeff. Man, I see you on social media. You know, I don't really do a lot of social media. You know that. But if I do, you tell me, okay? Because this is why we're here. This is why he came, right? Not to preach himself. Ministry is not about us. Not about us at all. I mean, John the Baptist's appearance so early in John's gospel I think can serve as a bit of a corrective, not just for those in ministry, but for all of us as to why we're here in the first place. Because we can get, we're prone to confusion. Peter even says we're prone to forgetfulness, right? He said, I stir up your minds by way of reminder. Why? Because we're forgetful people. And you can go to seminary or you can be in church for 40 or 50 years and still forget why we're here. And this sermon today is fundamental, or this, the John the Baptist message is fundamental as to what we're here for in the first place. And we need to be reminded, don't we, for all of us in the church, not just those called to ministry, to vocational ministry. I think there's a needed corrective for us here. Uh, in this church and in many churches, there's a needed corrective in this for me as to why I'm here. Did I come to write books? No. I do that sometimes, but if that's what I came for, you need to correct me. If that's mostly what seems to motivate me, something's gone wrong, Right? A publishing contract or, you know, as I said, the Twitter, whatever. During my recent sabbatical that I just returned from a couple weeks ago, I thought a lot about our purpose statement. CFBC exists to proclaim the truth of God. Check. To make disciples of Jesus Christ. Check. I think we're doing our best to do that, though imperfectly. And the first part, imperfectly. To reach Louisville and the world for Christ. Hmm. I think we've got some room for growth there. We've always got room for growth in every area, right? Always. And, and I think I realize it. I think in some ways, 
I've forgotten what it's all about as your lead pastor. And I need you to forgive me for that. I need to be more about this than about other things. There's nothing wrong with having a writing ministry. God's given me that. That's fine. But this is what we're here for. And if we're not doing this well, it's because your leadership hasn't led you well in this. So I'm going to just take this. Okay, this is, this is on me. And God's kind of awakened me to this. You know, you got that email from David Taylor. We're thinking about, we, we want to, we, we really mean that. We want to reach you all over the world for Christ, but we need everybody here. It can't be me. It can't be Doug. It can't be Clay. It can't be the three of us. You can't say, you know what? You guys are the professional ministers. Well, Reed Piper's brothers are not professionals, right? <laughs> no, 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 you go out. No, 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 we need everybody, all hands on deck, because that's why we're here. To make disciples, yes. But a part of that in our sanctification is sharing the gospel and sharing it without fear, right? We're going to talk a little more about this as we go. I've been really convicted about this and convinced that I've not led you too well in this. I've had a lot of other things on my mind. I think I've sort of superseded something that I think is the main thing. So you help me correct this, all right? You hold my feet to the fire and let's go out and let's, let's, we're in a place now. Let's win, let's, everybody, every demon in hell that's assigned to this region, if that really is a thing, I don't know, that's not, <clears throat> that's more of the Frank Peretti novels than it is a biblical thing, maybe, I'm not sure. You see it, Daniel, but my point is, let's let them all know we're here and we're a threat to your kingdom. I don't want them to say, Christ Fellowship, they don't know how to threat to our kingdom. They're, they're just over there having a theology club. Man, we do love theology in the church, and that's where we start. That is not where we end. And again, I think maybe unwittingly we've communicated that, and boy, I'm sorry. We need to be out there winning the loss to Christ and being a threat to the gates of hell. I want them to go, man, those people are serious. We need to bombard them just like John the Baptist so what's his message? Well, that's the second main point here. And my only other main point. You see, the witness's message in ours, verses 9 to 13. The light has come into the world, which lightens everyone. How does it lighten everyone? What does that mean? But we believe in an election and stuff like that here. We've got to come to grips with this. Well, here's what I think it means. I think in part it means that it brings light to everyone's sin. Oh. Jesus came into the world to enlighten every man in the sense that he shows every man God to be true and every man a liar, every man a sinner to save sinners like me. That's how he enlightens every man. There, there's, there's more to this, I think, than that, but that's, I think that's where we start. I mean, think, think of Romans, Romans 1. As truth's coming to the world, we've suppressed the truth, right? Worship the creation rather than the, crea the creator. That's all of us. That's who we are outside of Christ. Suppress the truth. I'm a suppressor of the truth. You're a suppressor of the truth outside of Christ. The light is coming to the world, and we love darkness rather than light. We're going to learn, learn in verse, uh, ch chapter 3. Because here's the reality. God has hardwired you for worship. Did you know that? You're most fundamentally made for worship, and you will worship something or someone. But the question is, what or whom? And one of those answers is we usually will worship ourselves, right? We love ourselves. We'll worship something other than the creator. We'll worship something in the creation. Because you're hardwired, God made you to worship. Your most fundamental problem is a worship disorder. And that's my most fundamental problem, is a worship disorder. My affections and my heart need to be reoriented to worship the one who made and loved me and gave himself for me and made me for his own glory. That's why John came. That's why we're here. In God's common grace, it's a phrase we don't use a lot, but I think it's important. In his common grace versus special grace for those, comes only to those whom are chosen or saved people. In God's common grace, humans don't entirely suppress their sense of God as judgment. I mean, most people live out of a sense of right and wrong. People say, no, that's just wrong. I mean, pagans do. A couple years ago, one of my children came to me and said, I deserve a spanking. I have been bad, and I deserve discipline. And I thought, I am dreaming. Dreaming. Came to me and said, here, take me and discipline me. And I'm like, could you call your brothers and sisters in here and let them hear this? I should have recorded on my phone. Could you say that for the camera? And post it on Facebook for all the kids to see, right? But why did that happen? 
because this child of mine has a conscience and it's sin. Now, was that a sign of regenerate nature? Not necessarily. We're not as bad as we can be, are we? But far too often our worship is misguided. That's it. That's our problem. John Calvin said the human heart is an idol factory. We make heart idols. We fabricate. We make, we're day and night, man. That, that manufacturing company is running, running, running that conveyor belt, making idols of every form, usually in our image, right? And worshiping anything other than God brings his wrath. Christ came to deal with the wrath and our idolatry. That's why he came. That's what, that's what John came preaching. That's what we're here preaching. Sunday in and Sunday out so that we might be set free from idols of self, from idols of money, from idols of success, from idols of anxiety, from idols of our problems. Some people, they're defined by their problems, right? Those are their idols. You take the problems away, they wouldn't know how to live. You're troubled by your trouble. You're not in Christ, you're troubled, Right? Christ brings light to that. And John the Baptist came to bear witness to this light. And so do we. Christ enlightens us in a second sense. He brings truth into a world that loves untruth. It comes to expose it. It comes to everyone. I mean, God's allowing even those who ultimately reject him to hear the gospel as part of his common grace. How many here this morning, and I don't know the answer to this question, and I have nobody in mind, but how many of you will sit under the preaching of the gospel this Sunday and next Sunday and the following Sunday and maybe every Sunday for 20 or 30 or 40 years and then when you die, you will stand before God and his judgment and you will hear depart from me. I never knew you. As Spurgeon put it, God forbid we go to hell on a, on a feather bed. Happens. I went to church for a long time just thinking I was doing the sort of the thing we do here in the South. It's what we do, man. It's a, yeah, good person. Church going boy. Mm-mm. I think common grace is a doctrine that's undertaught in our church today. I mean, it's why God, He gives everyone a measure of grace, right? I mean, it's how we have what we have and are who we are. Common grace. But He allows us to hear the gospel in His common grace too. So he came into the world, John goes on to say, yet the world did not receive him, verse 10. The world hated Jesus because it exposes its dark deeds. You ever have an agreement with anybody? Disagreement with anybody, sorry. You ever have a disagreement with anybody in the past, say, four years? Those are different things, aren't they? The last four years, just try to have a disagreement with almost anybody now about anything. People are even on your side. It's hard, Right? Well, Jesus came to expose our darkness, right? That's part of it. He came to expose our darkness. He came to, to, uh, to show us as sinners, and because we have that rebellious streak that causes us to argue, the world rejected him. You don't like people who tell you the truth sometimes, do you? And we see that in Christ. I mean, John 3, 19, and this is the judgment that light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. You don't like being proven wrong. I like to be right. You like to be right? Come on, give me that look. <laughs> you like to be right, don't you? And when someone proves you wrong, you don't like it. I mean, think about the world. Jesus shows how sinful and wrong-headed the world is. We don't like it. And the world rejects him. James Montgomery Boyce tells the story of a medieval king who went away to war for many years, left his kingdom for many, many years, away at war. While he was away, his kingdom grew more and more corrupt. And when he returned at last, he discovered that those who had once been under his command gladly, wherever he went, had forgotten him. They didn't even recognize him. And see, that's the situation we find ourselves in in this world now. God made us, Jesus made us, he's the creator, and yet the world he has made has largely forgotten him. He's gone away. Of course, we know he's coming again, right? To take his kingdom finally and fully as his own possession. But we've forgotten him. Do you live like a person who's forgotten him, or you do live like a person for whom the gospel is true? 
I think we need to ask ourselves that every single day. I mean, why does the world not know Jesus? Well, a couple of reasons. The world does not know him because it does not want to know Jesus. This began at Jesus' birth. The innkeeper? No Jesus, right? King Herod? He didn't want to know Jesus. He wanted to kill Jesus, right? The scribes and the Pharisees? They don't want to know Jesus. Why? Because they love themselves supremely. I love me, not Jesus. So Pharisees, their, you know, their motto is, I love me and I have a wonderful plan for my life. And they rejected Jesus. He's always been despised and rejected of men. Well, why is that, Pastor Jeff? It's because men are born totally depraved. That doesn't mean we're as depraved as we can be. It means we're comprehensively, every faculty of our being is captive to sin. Our heart, our mind, our affections, our emotions, captive to sin. We're totally, we're comprehensively depraved. Our will is in captivity to sin. Our will is free only to do what we want to do, and that is to sin. That's why God must act to save us. Unless a heart is enabled by God to want Jesus, it does not want him because it is enslaved to sin and itself. If you don't want Jesus, it's because you love you more. And your will must be set free by the grace of God. Jeremiah 17, 9 said, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. If you're outside of Christ, that's you, beloved. That's you. Your heart's desperately wicked. He's, well, I don't feel wicked, but this is the word of the Lord. Desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. You're self-deceived, if nothing else, into thinking, I'm a good person. I'm good enough. I pay my taxes. I'm a good neighbor. Man, people over there in my corner, they like me a lot. And that may be true. But you can do nothing spiritually to please God unless your will is set free by the grace of God. Our nature is comprehensively corrupt. Unbelievers are spiritually blind. 1 Corinthians 2.14, we go back to Paul. He said, the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he is not able, get that, he lacks ability, he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, he goes on to say, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the glory of the gospel in the face of Christ Jesus. Beloved, if you're outside of Christ, you're unable. I had someone tell me that recently. I'm unable to believe. Boy, that's exactly right. But you're unable unless the grace of God enables you. That's what he came to do. To enable you, to give you a will that has been set free from sin and self. To repent of your sins and believe in him. But he must give it in a unilateral work of his grace, which you're going to see here in just a moment. We lack what Jonathan Edwards called a moral inability or a moral ability. We have a moral inability. Morally, we're unable to do one thing, think one thought, have one heart motive that pleases God. You say, I didn't think it was that bad. Friend, it's bad. But it didn't have to be bad. It didn't have to stay bad. The grace of God has come. Do you see this? It's come. John said he's come. The light has come. And I'm here to tell you today, the light has come. Yes, man fell into sin in Genesis 3, fell all the way to the bottom, is spiritually blind to the truth and unable to help himself, but yet there is good news. But God, and we see that in here, don't we? This is why the world needs the light and why, like John the Baptist, we must be witnesses to the light, Jehovah's true witnesses, to a world that remains in spiritual darkness. And this is the crucial part of the gospel we leave out sometimes that we must proclaim before a person can be saved, they must first be lost. Before they can be found, they must know they're lost, right? Old preacher in my hometown said that. He said, we've got to get them lost where we can get them found. And that's right. I mean, well, saved from what? R.C. Sproul asked this question. The book, saved from what? Man, that's a good question. And that's where we start, isn't it? We do evangelism. You must be saved. You are under the wrath of a holy God as it stands right now, this moment. You must flee to Christ. But you're under the wrath of the Holy God because you're a sinner and you're undone and you're lost and you've rebelled against your Creator. That's where we must start. We've got to get them lost where they can be found. And tell them what they're saved from. And because there are lots of lights in the world, but only Jesus Christ is the true life. Only Jesus can do helpless sinners good. There's a lot of morality. 
Listen, I'm a good person. I reject what you're saying because about depravity, Brother Jeff. I don't believe that for a minute. I do good things. I give money to charity. And man, I, I'm always helping my neighbor. And that's absolutely true. I agree with that 100% that you're doing that. But I would ask you, what is your motive? Because that gets to the heart of why all of our actions outside of Christ, not, not driven by faith, are stained with sin, right? And while we can't do one thing to please God, not one action, not one act of kindness that's going to make us right with God. There's the light of good works. I do good things for people all the time, but that won't save you. By grace you've been saved through faith and not of works, so no man may boast. There's a lot of what I would call niceness. I like nice people, and I try to be a nice guy. I probably pride myself on being nice. Niceness is not going to save any of them. Nice to let people cut in line in front of me, give them the parking space, you know. Niceness is not going to save us, right? There's a whole thing, be nice to each other. There's yard signs that say that now. And I'm all for that. Don't get me wrong, preaching against that, okay? Well, my neighbors be very nice to me. <laughs> but that's not going to save you, is it? Don't mistake that for righteousness. True righteousness that comes as the gift from God imputed to your account by the, an act of God in sending his son to die in our place for our sins. There's a lot of social activism. We want justice. We want justice in this world and we're working for it. And yeah, there's, there's a place for that, but it's not going to save you. There's a lot of conservatism or liberalism. There's once a time I would tell someone I'm a cert of a certain party because I'm a Christian. Because I thought that was going to save the world. I thought the White House would save my house. But it won't. No matter how conservative or liberal or however you see it we are, it won't save us. There's a lot of church attendance. I'll go to church, man, down there at Christ Fellowship, and they're pretty serious about the Bible. It doesn't save you. Doesn't make you a Christian any more than me standing in my garage makes me a Buick. Not at all. Not at all. Jesus has come into the world and, the light, and people rejected him. What are you looking to? Are you looking to one of those things? Are you looking to the light? Are you looking to Christ? What are you looking to today? I don't care about when you were a kid or when you were five years old or some decision card or whatever. What are you looking to today? That's all we ask when you join this church. Who are you looking, trusting in today, right now, this moment, for the forgiveness of your sins, your only hope of eternal life? Who are you looking to? Because in people, until we know the true light, we remain in darkness. Jesus was rejected. His own people rejected him. Verse 11, his, the Jews, his ethnic people, rejected him. You see, he came to the world and the whole world, even his own people, they knew him not. Verse 11 is very clear. The rejection by the world is comprehensive. But we turn the corner in verse 12. But... It's that adversative clause I like to talk about. If you like grammar, if you don't know what that means, then just call it a well-placed but God. But God. Look at this. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Wow. Do you feel your former lostness this morning in what he's done for you? We have the catechism question on adoption. He's taking you out of the family, the nursery of this world, the filthy, or the, the orphanage of this world, the filthy, squalid orphanage of this world, brought you into his kingdom, brought you into his family. That's what he's done for you. Have you gotten over that? Are you bored with that? Sometimes I think we're just bored. We, you know, we're, we're like the Greeks. We want something novel and new and something, you know, to really, that really sings on social media or a bumper sticker or whatever you're into. But to those who trust in him, they will become the children of God. This is good news. This is the call of the gospel. And it goes out universally. We preach it every Sunday universally. This sits at the heart of John the Baptist's message. It's what we call the general call of the gospel. It goes out everywhere. Every Sunday, the spirit and the bride say, come. The message every Sunday, the invitation is come. 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 Come to Jesus. Faithful ministers are not remiss to issue the general call. Now, the effectual call, that's what we're going to get into in verse, we'll see in verse 13. I mean, fallen human beings do not become children of God merely by being born. They become members of God's family by being born again. Only by faith in Jesus Christ. A faith that is generated in them, as we'll see in the next verse and more fully in chapter 3. 
by sovereign act of God, the new birth or regeneration. That's a good word. You say, well, that's a synonym word. No, no, it's a biblical word. It means to be born again. Remember 1976? Yes, I was alive then. It was the year of being born again, according to Time Magazine, because we elected Jimmy Carter president. Have you been born again? Have you experienced the, the unilateral work of grace in your heart, in your life? And is it transforming you? Is it? There's a notion I heard a lot in college. It's very popular in the 60s and 70s called the universal fatherhood of God and the universal brotherhood of man. You ever heard about this? You don't hear it much anymore. You just hear, well, we're all just brothers and God is our father. Well, John the Baptist would say no. He would debunk that here, right? How do we become children of God? By being adopted into his family. And that's a privilege of only those who come to God through faith in Jesus, the eternal word. This is one of the great solos of the Reformation. Sola fide, faith alone. Solo Christos, in Christ alone. Those are the core values of this church. Because it's the gospel that we know transforms us and will transform the world. Will enable our purpose statement to be lived out faithfully. Sola fide, faith alone. I mean, John destroys this notion. We're all God's children. We're all God's creation. And he loves his creation. Absolutely true. When the rich young ruler, when he went away, Mark says he loved him. And he went away, but he loved him. So I think we have warrant to say God loves his created people. He loves, he loves them, right? Yet we're not all the children of God. In John 14, 6, John, Jesus famously said, we'll take a closer look at this in a few weeks, I'm the way, the truth, and life, no one's come to the Father, but by me. That's it. That's, that's how we enter the family of God. The children become the children of God. They're born again by a sovereign act of grace. Verse 13. This is where we'll finish up. Who were born, okay, gave the right to become children of God, comma. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. What does that mean? It means God did it. If you're going to be saved, God must do it. God does it. God does it. Regeneration. Not of blood, means salvation is not attainable through any racial or ethnic heritage. Not born of blood. You know, I came born into the kingdom of God. A natural generation. Not of the will of the flesh. Salvation is not attainable by any personal desire at all. Not of the will of man. Salvation is not achievable through any man-made system. I can't save you. I tell my children this all the time. I'm a pastor and I've raised you in my home, but my faith will not save you. Membership at Christ Fellowship will not save you. That's not what church membership is. Church membership is a privilege of the redeemed. It's for, because you have been redeemed and you're breaking with the world and you're identifying with Christ, a new identity. You're declaring that in your baptism and in your church membership. But God must grant the power supernaturally and with it the divine life and light to the lifeless, darkened, dead sinner. Why is this necessary? Well, because of what I said earlier about total comprehensive depravity. Regeneration is necessary. The new birth is, is necessary because all descendants of Adam and Eve have inherited the sin and are morally unable to do what is spiritually good, unable to please God. Just what I said. And so what must happen is what must happen to you must, is what happened to Lazarus. Not that you die physically in various, but that's a picture of what must happen to you. You must be raised. Christ must say, look into your dead heart and say, live and you must live. God literally raises the dead. We see this in Ezekiel 37. You want to meditate on a glorious passage of Scripture? Do that this afternoon. We won't go over there. It's long, but 14 verses. When God is speaking to the prophet Ezekiel, and God asks him, can these dry bones, there's all these skeletons in the, this, the valley of decision, all these, these skeletons and bones, and they're laying there in the desert, parched and dead and dry, and God said, can these bones live? And the prophet has the answer. Oh, Lord, you know. Oh, Lord, you know. Boy, that takes the pressure off of us in evangelism, doesn't it? Can these dry bones live? Oh, Lord, you know. This is what I have to say about the congregation, that you're Christ's congregation. And can you live? Oh, Lord, you know. I can't do it. I can't bring you to life. 
only the Word of God and the Spirit of God in God's sovereign plan can do that. It's God's power. Like the many I could choose from, John Wesley. John Wesley, in 1738, a low point in his life, and he was reading Luther's preface to Romans. He said, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt as if God loved me. I experienced that God loved me. It was no longer something that was in my head, but it was something that I felt in my heart. That was at Aldersgate in England, a famous conversion. God said, John Wesley, let there be light. And there was light. Well, I'm a Christian pastor. What does that mean for me? Well, it means that you just go preach the gospel. You go proclaim the gospel and God will do his work. He did it in John Wesley. He did it in Augustine. He did it in Luther. He did it in John Bunyan. He did it in Jeff Robinson. He did it in you. That's how you're saved. Then that's the message. I mean, it tells us a couple of things. First, we can never coerce belief. We cannot make Christians because if I can talk you into something, into it, then someone much more clever than I can talk you out of it. That when we do evangelism, you, don't th- you, you tend to think, I think we all tend to think, I've got to talk somebody into it. I'm going to have to debate them and argue. Man, it's going to be hard. No. Just get the gospel out of the salt shaker, the salt out of the shaker, and it will do its work. The Spirit will do His work. You just proclaim it. You just give an imperfect gospel presentation. That's all you got to do. They have to be perfect, and God will do His work. Perfect gospel presentations don't save anybody. This also tells us that we need to proclaim the gospel to lost people and let the Spirit do His work, and He will do the rest. He is responsible for the results, not you. See, this takes the pressure off you. When we go out, and I want us to go out, and I want us to go out with confidence, not in ourselves, that we can argue people, we know enough about science, we can talk about all these things. No, 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 that we know enough about the gospel that we have, we not just know it, but we have confidence it is the power of God to salvation, and we proclaim it, and God does His work. And we see church growth here by conversion. That's the best kind of growth. That's what I want to see. I want to see lost people filling these seats and not staying lost, but lost coming in who were once say, who can say, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. That's what we want. And that's what I want you to want. That's why we're here. In addition to worshiping God, to see the lost found. Are you with me in this? I hope you are because this has become something that's burning in my heart and has for weeks and weeks now. Because sometimes I don't feel like I'm around lost people enough. That's my fault. We can share the gospel without fear. We don't have to wait until we have all the answers, all the questions and no science. We study, have all the apologetic techniques. Those are great in their place. You don't need that. Need to get my seminary education done. Oh, they don't share the God. No, share it now. I mean, I was saved by the God. God saved me through the gospel. Someone asked Charles Spurgeon, how much theology does a person need to know to be a Christian? He said two things. That I'm a great sinner. Christ's a great Savior. That's it. Have you come to a place where you know that you know you're a great sinner and you know that you know that you know Christ's a great Savior? I don't want to let you off the hook here. I know there's some lost people in here. I know it. I have no doubt. There may be deceived people. I don't know. I don't know your heart. I am not omniscient. We're not John the Baptist. He was a unique forerunner of Jesus. I'm not suggesting that. Last of the Old Testament prophets proclaim the Messiah to come, but we're called to be witnesses for Christ. Genuine witnesses for Jehovah. We're called to decrease and him increase. That's why we're in ministry, brothers, Southern Seminary guys and gals, if we have any Southern, called of various kinds of ministry. We're here to decrease so that he can increase, and that is humility. If you want to pray for one thing, my son, uh, my oldest son, of course, moved down on his own here. He's grown now, and he said, what's one thing I should pray for? And I said, humility. What? What are you going to say a lot of money or a girl? No humility. You'll find a good girl if you're humble, <laughs> right? Humility. That's what should, our ministries at this church should drip humility. I, this pulpit should drip humility, and far too often it does not, and that is on me, and I repent for that. 
Peter said in 1 Peter 3, 15, but in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord, always being ready to give an answer of the hope that lies in you, but how? Generous and respect. Always ready, but with humility. We got a lot of pugnacious people who want to fight about the gospel. And man, I tell you, if I were a sinner, I wouldn't come to a thousand miles of them. The gospel is its own offense. Let the gospel offend them and not you. Right? John the Baptist, man, he just preached it. You brood of vipers? Oh, man. Whoa, Nelly. You brood of vipers. Who told you to flee from the wrath to come? Wow. But the reality is we're preaching to a brood of vipers, aren't we? And the reality is we were once a, a viper in that brood. We're part of that brood. So we witnessed to Christ, for Christ, courageously and humbly. And with our lives. We'll sell this last week in Matthew. Let your light so shine before men so they may see your good works and give honor and glory to your Father in heaven. This is it. This is what I want us to be about in 2022. We've read a lot of books. We may have even read books about evangelism. And those are well and good. And they certainly have their place. I'd be out of work if they didn't have their place. At least part of my work would be out of work if they didn't have their place, right? But beloved, I want us to take this gospel in confidence that that gospel that saved you will save others. You know, I said that about gates of hell. I guess it's the competitor in me. I don't know. I want to be known there as a gospel-saturated, humility-prizing church. I want you to join me in that in these coming months as we, as we take this community where God has planted us right here around us, not all those people around us, for Christ. Let's be busy about that. Not just for the sake of busyness, but busy about proclaiming the light of the kingdom into the darkness because we know that darkness has not overcome it. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we've not been evangelistic enough. And Father, we, I don't say that because I think we need to tell others we are evangelistic. Father, give us grace and forgiveness for our lack of confidence in the gospel and our distraction to other things. And as leaders of this church, we certainly pray that, Father. But in the days ahead, I pray that this church, that you bring revival to our hearts. Revival comes to Christians that you would stir up in every person within my hearing, Lord, every person who's redeemed here a love for that gospel and an absolute and utter confidence in its saving power, that we would decrease and Christ would increase, both in this body, in here, but out there. And we'd be telling the truth when we say that we exist to make, to win Louisville and the world for Christ. God, do this, do a work in us that you need to do. And Father, if there's, there are those here today and none out there who do not know you, I pray today will be the day you draw them to yourself, help them to see the ugliness and the odiousness of their sin and the certainty of your wrath that they face, the beauty of your holiness, and the majesty and the glory of the one who said, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Father, work in us. And yes, through us, for your glory. For Jesus Christ, our Lord.